Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Beer never broke my heart, Robbie, and I felt like that song was appropriate because the Hokies broke our hearts a little bit on Friday night, and in this case tonight, pumpkin beer never broke our hearts because this is our pumpkin beer episode. How you feeling, bud? Well, I'm going to sound stupid here because we may have a lot of country music listeners out there, but I don't know if it was that song, but there's another song out right now that's pretty popular about beer and how like it can like cheer you up. And I don't think it's that one either. (laughs) And it's like, it's very similar and I might be an idiot and it might be the same song, but the only reason I know is that we were driving back from, well, a lot of country um, songs will, will bring out the beer and, uh, and the whiskey and all other kinds of drinks and you know yeah there's one there's I one called like, like about really my one. hangover like no ain't no hangover yeah. like you it's like about a girl or something like that no this this one was strictly about beer and how it can solve a lot of problems and somebody hopefully will tweet us what the actual name of the song is but i only know because we were driving back from vacation so we have to split music duty i listen to hip-hop and for a period of time till my wife's ready to go crazy and then she gets to listen to uh to to country music so I am, uh, I'm a little heartbroken. Yes. I, I will say that much. That's, so that's why we're uh, reaching for these brewskis tonight, man. Why don't you give us a cheers? Yeah. All right. This is going to be, um, a little bit of a long one. First, uh, I want to cheers to myself. Finally, uh, I was the most wrong about this season, uh, <laughs> and the biggest idiot in the room, uh, in terms of our record. So yeah, well, I was the I second biggest that. idiot. So there you go. Yeah, I I will own every portion of that and people can feel free to make fun of me. The second cheers, this is going to be a curveball for Pete. He didn't see this coming. I can't um I can't make it to the next home game. So this is a little bit early, but everybody's in the in the dumps right now. So here's the deal. So if you want my tickets, I got club seats for two seats for the game and what is it? Rhode Island we got coming up. So it's probably going to be about, yeah, three people that want to go to this one. But if you want them, then send out a tweet. Here's the deal. You send out a tweet. You have to send it to uh, a player. If you know a player um, with a positive thing of why you like VT football, Um, you you can copy us on it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go searching for it. So at least like make it accessible to, to us. So I'm not doing this because of us. I really don't care if you tag us. It just makes it logistically a lot easier or at least forward the tweet to us. We're going to pick one tweet and then you can have my club seats uh, for wow. the Rhode Island game if you if you decide to go. But it has to be a positive tweet at uh, and it has to be at a player or if it's you don't know any of the players or if you don't have a Twitter account, sign up and then you can delete it right afterwards if you're anti-Twitter and you get the seats. So it has to be a positive thing of why you love Virginia Tech football. It could be about the season. It could be about the player. It could be whatever it is. But we'll pick. I don't know how we're going to pick. Maybe just the one that we like the best. And um, I'll mail them out and you can have my seats for that. Don't don't be a jerk in my seats, though. That, that would not be nice. So uh, keep it, keep yourself within moderation. That's... That's my cheers, and uh, and hopefully that brings some some goodness to a lot of the players that are going through, you know, 
a, a lot of rough times right now with what, what what's going on with the program. And, you know, they're putting themselves out on the field and they're, they're still trying to play hard and trying to play for VT. Cheers, man. <clears throat> when Robbie says he has club seats, he means it. These are some of the nicest seats in the stadium and they sell beer at Robbie's seats. It's the, like the only place in lane that you can get a beer. So it's pretty amazing. This is, that's very generous of you, man. Yeah, man. It's, uh, listen, it's the least I can do for, for the fan base at this point. What a wretched performance that was on Friday night. Um, there's really, there's a ton of things you can say, and there's also not a lot that needs to be said. It, it's a low for the program, perhaps a new low. Let's do some news and notes before we really tear into it. On the injury front, TJ Jackson played, Garbett played, and Hazleton played. Uh, Hazleton even scored a touchdown that was pretty much in garbage time. Zach Hoyt did not, and uh, Janzy started over Tenuto, which is something we thought might be flipped, but it wasn't. Uh, it seems like Trey Turner at this point is out for a bit now. Williams mentioned it in the press conference. Turner only had one touch first, Duke. Well, that's actually not accurate. He had another touch, but it was a drop. Uh, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> we're still working through some things on the injury front. If Trey's out for an extended period of time, that's that's not going to be very good. The injury bug has not been as bad as we've had in past or some years, but it it hasn't done us any any favors, especially with the, what we're seeing on the field. In yep. the pick'em, Michael Domabil. 12 correct this week. Good job. He is now in first overall, 39 out of 60 picks correct on the season. That's 65% impressive by Michael. I did want to note that friend of the podcast, Sarah Berlin, is tied for sixth overall with 34 correct. I saw her and her husband, Andrew, on TV during the Duke game, which I thought was pretty cool. They're two of my favorite Hokie fans. They're always loyal, always positive. Uh, so I, I thought that was awesome. Shout out to Sarah and Andrew. Uh, I know you were doing your best to cheer us on on Friday night. <laughs> and uh, I got 11 picks right, just so we know, uh, this uh, this past week. After missing a week, I'm, I am I got to go on a rampage to try and get myself back in the game here, but I did get 11 of 15. So Yeah, you um, had a big bounce I, back, man. That was, that's a nice week. I only had eight, which is over 500. So I finally cracked the 500 mark. But with your 11, you missed a week. You had his offer, right? You're only two behind me right now. (laughs) So I've I've had our struggle bus this year. Uh, The last couple news and notes, we honored the 1999 team at the Duke game. Uh, They did a video and a bunch of the guys came back, including Michael Vick. There was a great picture of them all on the sideline. Uh, Some people thought they could have done more to honor them. Let's not pile on too much. It was still pretty cool that they were all there. And I wish some of them could have suited up. Yes, if we could have put them, put them on the field, there was, um, I mean, we might as well put it out there. There's a lot of talk about the situation, or it's not a situation, Fuente not being able to go over and say hello to the 99 players. Uh, I've, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but to your point, let's not pile on. Let's, yeah, um, it's just that one another, I'm just moving it's forward It's just another on. red flag. It's just another man. thing. It's just another... Uh, yeah. Black eye. Yeah, I, I don't know. How do you not go say hello to the 99 team? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't talking about I mean, that aspect. Just... I actually was saying that we shouldn't we shouldn't pile on to like, oh, they could have done a better video. or they should. I, I, uh, I will pile on about the Fuente not saying that. You, how do you not make time to go 
greet the 99 team. And maybe he, he actually said that after the game in, in the radio interview. This isn't like someone made it up. Like he said, I didn't have time to check in with them. Yeah, it, it's it's not great. And, you know, somebody brought up another good point. And listen, Fuente gets paid a lot of money, so I don't have any sympathy for this particular. But, you know, it's probably just embarrassed at that point, right? Possibly. You know, it's... Um, Too busy that, throwing you together know, that stellar game plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, it's it's just, it's not great. But the photo that they all got to take, I think it was like 15 of them that showed up. It wasn't a, a huge turnout, but just seeing those guys back together and that that particular team is just so important to the Virginia Tech fan base mm-hmm. because even now it's 20 years later and we latch on to that as... Uh, you know, the, not the heydays because there was a lot of good years after that. So I don't want to make it sound that way, but it, it was just such an important team to Virginia Tech. And it's something that, you know, we take huge pride in, right? It, and it, it was the, the national title, the national championship. It, it yeah, doesn't it was, happen. We almost, to schools like we VT. almost got a shot at it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that, that achievement was, uh, was something else. And if it wasn't for, and equally and amazingly talented Florida State team, we might have won that national championship. Um, but yeah, cool to have them honored 20 years later. Hard to believe it's 20 years ago because me and you got to school not too long after that. And uh, <laughs> and we were really the children of Vic. That's the only reason I ended up at Tech. I'm from Delaware, right? And, and I went to Tech because I had heard of it from football. And then I was like, oh, they have a good engineering program. Maybe I should go there. And I ended up going there and majoring in engineering. And I, I'm so happy I did. But it's because of Michael Vick. <laughs> yeah, it was the Vick effect. And I never have been able to go back and get the actual stats and what happened in applications to the school and all the things that happened after that. But um, listen, the, the, the academics of Virginia Tech are amazing. But that really, football has a way of just like getting your your name out there, your brand out there. And that's what it did. So it did a lot of things to the program, even outside of the sport. And I think that's what, you know, uh, that's why it's so important, at least to me personally, is like it, it, it really did equally as much for the academics as it did for our football right. program, because it got our name out there so widely that, you know, we were able to improve with better students coming in and, you know, application rates, et cetera. All right, let's hop into this game recap. We were up 3-0 after the first quarter, and the defense looked hungry, forcing multiple three-and-outs. The tight, low-scoring game I had pictured was coming to fruition. I was I was getting real excited. We, we finished that quarter up 3-zip, and I'm just like, we're going to do this. 17-14 win. That's what it's going to be. Then Hennon Hooker came in the game as part of that QB rotation, tried to make the handoff to Keyshawn King, fumble, and the team, oh, man, they folded faster than Superman on laundry day. <laughs> they folded faster than a cheap lawn chair. Insert whatever you want to say. They folded. And it was reminiscent of the GT game last year. After the Savoy muff punt, we fell apart, and that was it. Duke scored on the next play. They proceeded to take us behind the woodshed. When it was all said and done, Duke beat us 45-10. to 10. It was the worst home loss in 45 years. What do you what do you do with that? There's uh, Will Stewart from TSL said, you know, there's no coming back from that, and that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I 
you know, I, I Joe, first of all, I sent out a tweet early on in the game. We'll get into the specifics, but the defense looked great really like early in the game. I, I was juiced. I was, they looked hungry. They looked after it. And then this particular team and last year's team, when they suffer these kind of early on, I, I, I mean, that was pretty catastrophic. I mean, that, that didn't, that, that really, you know, changed the tone of the game quickly. They're, they're just, um, that they're playing on their heels almost on the next play. You can see it all of a sudden they're, they're going from leaning forward to playing on their, on their heels. It was, um, it was, it was really tough. They can't deal with the slightest bit of adversity. That's the problem with this team. They are just soft. Now, I do not want to get into a fight with any of them. That's not what I mean by soft. Their play and the way they respond is soft. They're not tough. They show no grit. And this was such a glaring example. It was shocking. I mean, I can't argue with that. I just, I I want to always be careful that coaching teaches grit. Coaching, coaching teaches confidence. Coaching is how you get people uh, like I, I, and I think that's what you meant by that, but I don't want to mince words because it's, it's, you know, that's the, that is the responsibility. That's why those guys get big paychecks to do what they do. And I know they work hard, but you know, they get paid pretty well and they're the ones that are supposed to teach them to have that grit, to have that resolve, to have that confidence when they go back out to pick each other up off of it. So, you know, I that that is the where I kind of make the divide line. Like I, I honestly do feel bad for a lot of the players that are going through going through. I do too. Know, what what they're having to do. I do too because they've been put in a terrible position because the coaches haven't developed them properly. They just haven't. And when I say that they're soft, I. The players are soft because of what the coaches have done. The coaches aren't on the field, but what's happening on the field is because of them. And it's pathetic, man. After the bye week, at home, in a night game in Lane Stadium, and that's a performance you put on the field. It's pathetic. Yeah. It, 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 was, uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> we had said beforehand that this was really a tipping point for the program, right? Going into this game, this was a massively important game for the program, um, on the scale of the Clemson game, in the sense that the program can go in two directions after this game, <laughs> and we tipped in the wrong direction, and we tipped big yeah. time. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I said it. There, you know, I was on record. I said I'm going to wait until the Duke game to make a judgment about this team. Like that's what's really going to tell me what what this team is, and. Man, did I put all my eggs in one basket because you know it exploded and uh, there's <laughs> there's yolk all over the walls and you know there might be a dead body somewhere. So it's uh, it, I that's what I said. I said this game was going to tell me a, everything I needed to know about this 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 team for the year. And I know I sound mad, and we definitely don't want to sound like we're piling on because we're hurting. You know, if you are hurting about mm-hmm. the game. Two guys that do a podcast on the team every week, we're hurting just as much, if not more, than you, and and we want you to know that because I think if you know that someone out there is hurting as much as you, or maybe worse, it'll make you feel better. And I got to say, I was sick about this game all day on Saturday. Like watching the other football was difficult, just knowing how poorly our team played, and on Sunday, and even a little bit on Monday, and a little bit today. 
I've been sick about this loss. Even though it might lead to change, even though Fuente might get fired because of it, I was still just sick about it because, you know, I love Virginia Tech football so much. It just fucking hurt, man. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, I, I didn't watch the second half of the game. Like, to be quite honest, I I was on vacation. I was with a whole group of friends in this awesome house in North Carolina. And we rushed dinner just so I could go downstairs and watch the game. And I was watching the game with uh, one of my buddies has... He's got like two kids. Um, his name's Ryan. And we were sitting on the couch, just like cheering at the beginning with the defense playing well. And then everybody else came downstairs after they finished dinner. And it just, it just spiraled out of, con- like out of control. And as soon as it started to, I was like, I was like, this is done. I'm not ruining my entire vacation for this. Uh, and, um, then I still have to watch all of the stats and you record all of them. And re- we all have to rewatch the the game. And, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, man. Like sometimes you just, you want to pack it in and doing the podcast. I love it so much. Our fans are of the podcast and just in general are so awesome. But it, this one was, this one took a, a toll on me pretty badly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It reminds me of like the Pitt and Georgia Tech game last year where we're on the podcast just for the cathartic experience or, or whatever it is, you know, talking through the pain. I don't know. Um, Willis was awful in this game. Seven for 18, 112 yards, one touchdown, one pick, a 98.4 passer rating. That is the second lowest of his career. The only lower game was the UVA game last year. So if you think about it that way, this was by far his worst game uh, because the the result was so much worse than the UVA game. Without the Hazleton catch, which was 72 yards, he would have had a 62.7 passer rating. So the, it was 40 yards without that pass. Uh, Hooker was no better. I caught, I, caught, I caught heat, I think, from this. like I, You always get like those indirect... like tweets that are out there and I don't know if some of them are but I, I do the past stats for VT every week right like I, I mean you know this they're on the website go check and I put out that back-to-back weeks Willis had the highest completion percentage that Virginia that anybody's had under Fuente and the lowest 81% versus um, Furman and then 39% against uh, which against Duke, which is both the highest and the lowest of any quarterback that's played on Fuente at Virginia Tech. And I just thought that was it's weird. Crazy. Yeah, right. Like it's just strange. a weird stat. And like I wasn't I wasn't like judging Willis. Um I was just putting it out. I like I like stats like that. It's crazy. But I will say, you know, on not a ton of those plays, he had some bad, bad throws. The O-line protection, pass protection, and I, I sent you, you know, a message earlier about this. It, it looked bad. Like, it was it was bad. Like, and he was on his back foot the entire time. You know, we saw in the first few games that he was able to step up into the pocket. This was just collapsing yeah. all around him. So... I'm not. Uh, I, I don't. I don't give him a buy on that whatsoever, and that's not what I'm saying. But this is a team problem. This is not just a Willis problem. Like if you think you're just going to throw Hooker in there and everything's going to be better, no, that may be possible. I just I don't know if that's the the solution that we have. I think we have more issues than that. We definitely have a lot more issues than that. 
I want to talk about the fake punt by Duke real quick. They were up 28 points, and they faked a punt, converted, and later scored uh, perhaps the coup de grace on Fuente's career. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> probably not because he's still here, but just the fact that Duke made it a five-touchdown game with the aid of a fake punt is extra, extra embarrassing, I guess. And especially for Fuente on a night when he was supremely outcoached, perhaps it was payback for some of the drubbings we've handed Duke over the years. I, I don't really know why Cut would do it. He, he's generally seen as a good guy. Uh, but, you know, he, he just is walking through an open door, in my opinion. You know, if, if you're going to allow it to happen, which it was clear for everyone to see that it was capable of happening, um, he just, he walked through an open door. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's debate whether that was on purpose or whether the punter, you know, just took the ball and, and ran with it, saw what was coming through or actually one of three things, either pissed at Fuente about something. I don't know if that was the case because they had a nice handshake and they talked for a little bit, like right at the end. And it was longer than the normal, like, you know, where they slap hands and they just peace out on each other Two. He just wanted to make a statement in lane and he did. If that was the intent, he just wanted to be like, Hey, it's almost the end of my career. He's getting old. You know, he's going to, he's going to retire at some point here or three. If it was actually just the punter, you know, scurrying off. I don't know. I don't, I don't know which of those three is. I, I kind of think it's probably the, the, the latter, but who knows of the three, who knows and who cares at this point, uh, Part of me wants to just thank him for doing it because it was kind of the icing on the cake to show how bad things are. But obviously, I don't want the 40-burger up on us <laughs> when when everyone's talking about the game. But that is why it's garnered so much attention. And I want to get to that national coverage in a minute. Just to wrap up the game stats, the defense gave up 6.1 yards per play in this one, 234 yards rushing. Duke was 9 of 16 on third and fourth down combined. We got owned. Like, we got owned on the defensive side of the ball after the first quarter. And offensively, we had 14 first downs. That was tied for the fewest of uh, Fuente's tenure. And four of them were because of flags. Uh, Eight completions were the second lowest of Fuente's tenure. We're 104th in yards per play now. And we we should talk about the play calls real quick, too. Uh, We are so predictable. We, uh, you know, what we're doing is just so predictable and lacks creativity and any sense of cleverness. Yeah, I mean, the 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 jet sweeps are just getting out of control, and it's it doesn't it, it and it it looks like a beautiful mind, you know, where like everything's like up on the board and like like it doesn't. <laughs> It's like there's no cohesiveness and there's no like real rhyme or reason to what we're doing at the time, other than the fact of every time Fuente under the Fuente kind of regime, when we try and do this thing where we establish the run game, like that's what we're going to do. We don't have a run game. So what are you establishing? Like how many years would this go on for? Like if Fuente had like a, Say Fuente was signed up for a 20-year contract that he had to be our coach. How many years would we just keep doing this, establish the run game, when it fails so miserably? The, the games this year that we've actually had decent offense 
have been passing like pass long passes, like 10, 20 yard passes have been like our bread and butter. And I saw some of those passes from Willis that did not go well early on in the game. And so like, I I'm not saying that like it would have gone swimmingly, but in the games that we've done well, and maybe, maybe I didn't see something. Maybe Duke was showing like looks, no, in you're the, right. you know, in this, in the back seven that were different, but like all of a sudden we bailed out on the only thing that we were actually, there was the King when King was running, it was, it was great. And you know, when he put up, you know, good yardage, in that game, but otherwise everything's come from those kind of 10 to you know, 20 yard passes that were actually going really well for the team. And then we just were like, nah, we're done. Yeah. Like we're not, gonna I, do I don't know anymore. why we weren't going more vertical. It's something French talked about in his article. And, and when we watch this team, what have we said since the season preview is that the strength is the wide receivers, right? So get them the freaking ball. And, and it's just so clear, like use your playmakers, use the guys who are creative with the football and we're not getting them the ball and we're not dissecting this coverage in ways we've even did just a year ago. So it, it doesn't make any sense. And the calls themselves, while predictable, as I've already said, the execution is even worse. <laughs> and and the jet sweeps you brought up, I said before the game in the last podcast, the jet sweep could be valuable in this game. But when you do it and you make it so obvious it's what you're doing and then you use it in the same place on the field with the same players in the same formation, it's not going to work. You got to, yeah. it's, there's no imagination, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. And then after the game Monday, he's asked about play calling. What does Fuente say? That's not what's needed. Whew, man. Yeah, that one got that one got you a little heated. Like we're just at a spot where you know a lot of teams want to use the run to set up the pass. We need to be a team that sets up pass to set up the run. Like we have, you have to flip the script on it a little bit. Like, and I know that's not comfortable. It puts us in dangerous spots. But I mean, I was saying earlier today, it's like how could it get any worse, right? Like, so say we pay, say we pass. 40 times in a game and we turn it over four times. Guess what? We're still going to lose 45 to 10. So at least give it a chance, like give something else a chance because what you're trying to do isn't working. And guess what? It can't get any worse. What are we going to lose? 60 to like 10. It's not going to get necessarily worse, but like it's starting just to also seem that Willis just can't. Like he is regressing by the game. And uh, obviously the defense that we played was significantly better than what he's seen so far this year. Uh, so it's it's predictable that he would have a not so good game, except for the fact that just last year he had his best game against Duke. So yeah. reason would have you believe that he was capable of having a good game. And it's just, it's getting worse and worse. And I think Willis is in, he's in, he's in a bad spot right now. Right, like he's in his own Mentally, head. Yes, he can't he can't turn over the ball because then he's going to get yelled at. He can't. His offensive line is not giving him good pass protection. He's throwing his body out there. He's injured. He's like, you know, I yeah. mean, I'm not sticking up for the dude, and I don't care who we play next week. Like that's not my point. Like my point is, is he is basically in like the most. 
I won't use another F-bomb, but he's in the most mind-effed situation that you can possibly be in where, like, what are you going to do? He can't run a read option. He, he Like, that's not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, watch his read option. You're, like, watching it, and you're like, well, this is, like, the most telegraph thing of all time because we all know where it's going. It, uh, it There's nothing that he can really do, and you're setting everybody up for for failure. Do you remember a couple years ago, and I wanted to get to the swapping of the QBs, and that's kind of where I'm headed now, is Mitch Trubisky and Marquise Williams for UNC. And Fedora was like swapping them in and out against Virginia Tech, and like neither quarterback could get in any kind of rhythm. And we're like, this is never going to work. If you see that as the opposing team, you are loving it. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> unless you're the James Summers ECU team, it doesn't work. And <laughs> Hooker, like the reason we fumbled is because they put Hooker in the game. I, it's it's just the way it was. That was a mesh point error on King and Hooker. I don't know who was more to blame. Obviously, King took the blame because he got benched again for the second time this season, which I don't even, I can't even go there right now with the benching and not benching of players for turning the ball over. But that only happened because Hooker does Hooker. Every time he comes in the game, something weird happens with the snap or the handoff, and all he can do is run. So you know he's not mm-hmm. passing down the field. It's if we start Hooker like like you said, it's not going to be any better. It's it's yeah. unless we start learning the triple option ASAP, it's not yeah. getting any better. Well, I mean, it may be marginally better because I mean, people know that the only way Willis can really run is when he's running for his life on the outside or if he's putting his body on the line up the middle, which he did three times in that game. And he got, he got good yardage. He, but he's basically sacrificing himself. Like there, he could easily just be destroyed on any one of those plays. So I, I just think it, I was watching the game of when hooker and maybe there's injuries to play and there's maybe stuff that we don't know about. So like we can't, we don't claim ever to know everything, but I was watching the game like of when hooker was coming in and like when Willis was back out and I was like, what, what is going on? There was no like, rhyme or reason. The, I was like, it, it just looked like a, like a, my daughter is two years old and her paintings look like more organized than like what's actually happening. Like it just looked reactionary. And again, I'll admit, I don't know. Maybe it's because Willis is really banged up. Hooker's really banged up and they had to lean on each other throughout the game. And it's just whoever's feeling better. I don't know. But I do know this, it doesn't look anything like an offense I want to see on the field ever again for Virginia Tech. No. We've now lost six out of our last seven ACC games. We are 0-2 in conference play for the first time since we joined the Big East. So not just the ACC, but going back to the Big East, we never started 0-2. And it's going to be 0-3 very, very soon. Um, Before we get into some big picture stuff, did you have any just quick, good nuggets from the game? We might get tarred and feathered if we don't talk about the defense uh, as well. And and just understanding that it was a bad day for them. The, there's all this commentary about, you know, is it the offense's fault? Is it the defense's fault? The, off- the defense started very well. The tackling got absolutely sloppy. Just bad yeah. sloppy. It got... At times, just um, they they just didn't care about the you know the game and some people's emotions, and they started so well. I felt so good about it. Um, 
I'll give I'll give Ashby had eight tackles again. He's continuing to, to lead the team and, and probably will continue to no sacks in in the game. I think we had six tackles for a loss. Most of those came what in the first quarter and a half, yeah. probably all almost all six of those. There's wide open receivers all over the place, and I'm not saying like the receiver that caught the ball. I meant like. Like he had like probably three people on some plays to pass to with no problem, like whatsoever. Um, Quentin Harris, he went 20 for 27. It, it just, the, the defense did not play, play well at all in this game either. And they started on a really high note. And I understand one side feeds off of the other, but it, it wasn't it wasn't good. No, we gave up so many yards in the underneath passing game and the guys just attacking the player with the football. It wasn't happening. You know, when a guy has the ball and you're afraid they might juke you out. And so you kind of stay back to see where they're going. We just kept staying back even once we knew where they were going. And that happened over and over. It was like, run, run to the football for the love of God. Like, I, I, I'd never seen so much of that in one game. And maybe they were tired or they were so thrown by what Duke was doing. I have no idea. But you don't go in the right gap. That's one thing. But once you see a guy with the football, attack. You know, go after him. And that it was, they were so slow to read, react, and go. You know, I, I don't know what the heck was going on. It was unbelievable. And that led to the tackling you're talking about. We're letting them get so many yards before we took them to the ground, essentially. That's um, exactly it. And it was a lot of yards. I mean, they yeah. were, and even on good tackles, like there was some really good tackling, especially early in the game, but it was like, after they had already gotten the first down by a yard. And then you would just see somebody like slam a Duke player to the ground. You'd be like, Oh yeah, that's great. And then you'd be like, wait, they just got a first down. <laughs> yep. And you're, you're like, well, that, that was, that was about a minute too late. Absolutely. Dude. I, I, I fully on board with that. And and French talked about that too. in, in his article, and he, he, he did a really nice breakdown, lots of videos. Um, don't read it. If you're suicidal, <laughs> because it might push you over the edge. It was so depressing. I, I didn't. I didn't read it because I couldn't. I didn't, it's no slight to French. She does amazing work, but I. Uh, this was one. I honestly. I. I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself it, to bear was, to, bad, to read it. Uh, on the good side, I had four good things written down. Uh, the Grimsley return early in the game. We had a couple short fields, which of course we squandered. McLeese going over a hundred. I guess is good. The Hazleton TD was kind of cool, although utterly useless and in garbage time. And Tisdale and Deshaun Crawford, I thought, were our best two players on defense, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't have anything else. I think, you know, we started the game with good field position. Like, that would that was really good. Like, it started off very well, just like you said, and that was my, my keynote. When you rewatch it, the momentum swing in the game is so... And we'll get to the national coverage because I think that's part of it is that the swing in the game was just so dramatic. It was yep. so quick. It just, it snapped like a, because. And did you feel uh, like I, I felt it like when that fumble I, well, happened. I, I told you I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the rest of the game. Yeah. We were still in it. And I knew it's dry. That, that is the first time that I had every opportunity to watch, 
you know, the second half of a game, it w- it wasn't out of hand at that point. And the momentum swing, you could actually see it in the players, you know, body movements, everything out the play. I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I just went upstairs. I, I went straight to bed. I didn't wake up till the next morning. You know, my wife woke me up and she was like, yeah, did you look at the box score? I didn't look at the box score until Sunday morning. I was like, I'm going to enjoy the beach today. Like I'm not dealing with this. Yeah. The fear, the fear instantly hit when that fumble and that score happened. Yeah. Let's take a beer break before we move on to the big picture. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm kind of I'm, I'm doing two beers at once, and I'll try and be quick here so we're not you know driving everybody crazy here. But uh, Paradox uh, Brewing Craft Beer, I have the Beaver Bite IPA. This was sent to us um, by Charlie and Pam Stock uh, up in New Jersey as like one of the beers to drink on the, the podcast. I'm not going to review this one because there's another one that they sent us that I really like. And Charlie said it's one of his his favorites. I thought it was it was really really good. But just want to show throw a shout out, so I don't think we're ignoring them. Uh, I'm drinking the great uh, the greater pumpkin. Uh, I guess it is. It's pumpkin ale brewed with um, every spice under the seas, under the <laughs> under the sun. Uh, it's from Heavy Seas is uh, uh, okay. the point of it. And it's always hard to review the pumpkin beers because once you like this is my first one of the season. They're so good, and this one is no different. I I really like this. Like I could drink this as a you know this is a beer I could drink year round if it was possible to do that. Um, it's a little heavy, ten percent alcohol, but um, I I've never I don't think I've ever had a Heavy Seas um, Brewing Company pumpkin beer, and this one is delicious. I love nice. it. I do enjoy Heavy Seas quite a bit. I. Also wanted to thank those listeners for sending us that beer. Next week, or I should say this weekend, I'm going to go down to Richmond. On my way back, if I stopped by your house, could I grab two of those from you? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Because I'd be the one that reviews. I'd like to try them as well. Uh, I am drinking the Autumn Blaze. This is a Captain Lawrence Brewing Company pumpkin ale. Kind of a weird name, Autumn Blaze, but the beer is fantastic. It's 5% alcohol. And it's just got a great amount of spice and pumpkin flavor. There's probably a little bit of sugar in this one because it's got a nice sweet taste to it. But man, is it tasty and it's pretty light. So you don't feel like weighed down like some of the other pumpkin beers. Autumn Blaze Captain Lawrence. I love Captain Lawrence Brewing, man. I I don't think I've had one of their beers that I didn't like. It's from New York. Elmsford, New York, for those listeners interested out there. All right, so I'm going to start... I'm kind of just going to I'm going to talk about why I felt like we might win and why that was wrong and then um it's kind of going to be a referendum on Fuente and then we'll go into the national coverage. Does that sound cool? Yeah, I mean that that works. All right. So, on last week's podcast, I said that I had this weird feeling that we might win. And and you kind of did too. We talked about the spread And we both kind of felt like in this spot in the season, on a Friday night game in lane, the right energy, and after a bye, like they might be able to pull off this win. And and I even said, like, I don't know where this feeling is coming from. I just kind of have this feeling we're going to win. Where where does that feeling come from? Where does that gut feeling, the week of the game, the day of the game come from? And it comes from following the team closely. It comes from 
the history of the team mixed with how you think they'll react in the given week in the season based on what's gone down. You get that gut feeling. The thing that I failed to realize until now is that this team and last year's team, by and large, don't possess what makes Virginia Tech Virginia Tech. Whatever the essence of it is, they do not have it because now they're all guys that have come up under Fuente. So all of my positive gut feelings, whether that's the day of the game or the week of the game, your gut feelings, the fans' gut feelings, they're worthless (laughs) because they're based on something that doesn't exist. I can't explain what it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of explaining what a hokey is, right? None of us really can define it or even want to define it. It's a culture. It's a mindset. It's heart. You feel it deep down in your soul if you're a hokey, right? And Fuente doesn't have a clue what that is. And he certainly doesn't know how to teach it and instill it in the team. Simply put, he doesn't know how to teach this team how to be Hokies. And that's why we suck. That's why we keep getting embarrassed. That's why our fans are losing their minds. That's why I'm losing my mind. Not because our expectations are too high, Dan Wolken, but because we have absolutely no idea what we're looking at on the field. The team is unrecognizable. We don't know who they are. And the worst part is, and and the key to all of it really is, they don't know who they are either. I can't can't say it any better than that, other than saying... We had Dan Wilkin on the podcast. Uh, he was one of our early on guests uh, for most people. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can listen to two things, Dan Wilkin on the podcast, and then you can listen to uh, Pete's pizza wraps, which were the best part of uh, best part of the podcast. And <laughs> the they're still good to this day. Season one. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> I guess that was my Scott Van Pelt moment. I didn't intend for it to be like that, like the one big thing, but it just this coaching staff is so frustrating and Fuente and his answers in the press conferences and his presence and the way he looked on the sideline on Friday night which was just a man with no plan like that's what it looked like you can see the body language um I mean I would I would I couldn't say like I said couldn't say it any better than that the where I came down and I, you know, I sent you, you know, uh, some words of mine about the the same type of type of thing is, and Joe's written about it in terms of like, what's the culture and a lot of people like, what are we, what are we trying to be? And if we knew it was going to be bad, then just be honest that it's going to be bad and then work from there. Like just go full mic, go leech on it, right? Just throw it out there. Just be honest about it. Or, if you're, you know, if, if we are more felt more tied into the fan base, now we have people like, you know, that are tied into the program, then we can all just lose together. But we can't do that either because we can't even see what's happening in the program. We don't actually know what's happening. And for those that don't know, and we do know, the, the media has been pulling their hair out during off seasons because they can't get any content about the program. They can't watch the players. They can't do anything. So there's no there's no tie-in to like what what's going on. If it's about the you know the nostalgia of the program, then make it about the nostalgia. But we didn't do that either. Like yes, they, they we did somewhat with like the whole you know celebrate the '99. But then we all ended up talking about how Fuente didn't go like talk to them at all. Yeah, there's just latch on to something, just anything, but don't fake it. 
don't like put the 25 out there on the fields and, and think that, you know, we've done it right. Don't, don't like leave these little facades out there. Don't talk about frustration in your interviews. Like when you're at the press conference and get pissed off about it, guess what? You know, who's pissed off about it? The people that are about to pay you $15 million to get fired. Like, <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're mad too. Yeah. Like, don't like latch on to something and make it positive. Don't, you know, with the SI article, like it's all building into this, like really, really bad place. And honestly, where I want to leave it is on this, on like the national narratives, don't let it ruin us. Right. Like, and that's up to us. That's up to the fan base. That's up to like, I, I know positivity in the face of a storm is terrible. Positivity in the face of so much negative things, but the college game day video that came out was utterly like it, it, it that hit me harder than, and I, I posted at the key play. I, I wasn't joking. That hit me extremely hard to see Reese Davis. First of all, they had had a few cocktails, which well, is obvious. Was, and, <laughs> but they were, they're upset. Like it they was Fowler, not, it was Herb Street, and it was the Bear, Chris Felicia from College Game Day. They're on a private jet, probably heading to Nebraska on Saturday, and they were talking about the Duke Virginia Tech score. And when they brought it up, the three of them were like half laughing, half in shock of how poor our program looks right now. And Kirk's face has become the gif and the meme and a lot of people's profile picture in the last day because he's just got this disturbed open mouth look of just, Oh my God, it's so bad. And that's verbatim what he says. And the only thing I would say is I, I don't think like, and I, it was, it was, you know, Fowler, it wasn't, it wasn't Reese. And now I'm realizing my post is wrong, but like, um, they like look, honestly upset like you know game day was built off of the back of a program that now they're looking at just not even understanding it and it was just so it was just so bad like to have that out there as the the meme that everybody's going to use and they just look like can we help like can we do anything yeah and they they said that they're like we have a lot of affection for virginia tech and and I think it was painful for them to even hear that Duke score. And that's what elicited the reaction. And it's also what led to the bearish joke on game day the next day of like, you love a dog in Lane Stadium. And everyone laughed and said like, ooh, like, because it was a burn. And and we deserve it. Look what's happened. You had the Pete Thamel article. You had the Walken article. You had that video we're talking about. Pick your podcast, whether it's PAPN or the cover two or the cover three with Chip Patterson. I mean, everyone is talking about how bad it is with the Hokies. And Godfrey specifically has had a lot of nuggets about Virginia Tech this season on PAPN. And he said, essentially, things are really bad and the buyout is absolutely in play. I've been quoting him for a while and people that are listening to this are going to get annoyed with it. But he hasn't been wrong. I mean, this has been going on. I brought it up a year and a half ago as something that I was like, wow, that's weird. And uh, I'm the idiot, right? I was the one that kept being like, oh, maybe he's, maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe he doesn't. He's pretty well tied in because he's not that big. 
that like people don't want to tell him stuff, but he's big enough that he can get access to it. And he has been spot on about everything that he said. Yeah. And, uh, like, like bo- listen to every and last PAPN. year he was hinting at all of this, not yes. the buyout, but it, it came up that maybe the marriage between him and Bud wasn't perfect. Maybe the situation wasn't going as well as he thought it was. Cause he has repeatedly said, I thought it was a perfect fit. Yep. You know, that we all did. We all thought it was a perfect fit. Got to keep Bud, got an offensive coach. This is going to be great. And it's not great. And we're essentially a laughing stock right now. <laughs> you watch that video, you can't help but like, yeah, we're a joke. Like, we we are a joke. A literal joke if you watch Game Day. <laughs> and I'll say one more thing, and this is where I'm going to tie it just back. Because I did. I wrote like a big, long thing. And I, I honestly meant it is when we're no... If we're on the path and it's bad and we're no longer the joke and Game Day no longer wants to you know, even have a talk about us when they're doing their, you know, drive back and forth to game day where they honestly feel bad for us when it's just silence on the program. And I honestly mean this, what are we going to look back and look at ourselves at? And that's why there's comments about people booing the players and, you know, giving people heat on campus and stuff like that is what are we going to look back at when nobody's talking about us anymore and it's just an echo chamber of ourselves. And I think that's important to keep in mind is right. these are still the kids that like are sitting next to you in class are still, they're going to school yeah. with you. Like they're still like <laughs> King. Used we know to sit the product me. stinks, right? <laughs> right? We know the product stinks. Do not boo and heckle these kids. Please don't do that. If you're going to lane for games and that, I think about it in Philadelphia terms because I'm an Eagles fan and I grew up in this area and and, and it's hard to shake. We threw snowballs at Santa Claus in like 1960. And that is still the first thing that comes up every time people talk about Philadelphia fans. They booed and threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Let's not boo and throw snowballs at Santa Claus in the Virginia Tech fan base. Let's (laughs) not do that. Let's not be the fan base that heckles and boos their kids. Because I don't want to talk about it 10 years later of how bad the 2019 season got and we, you know, started yelling at all of our players every game. I just don't want to hear it. Yell at the coaches, boo the coaches, rip the coaches a new one because they all deserve it. I I want to play a clip for you, and this is going to be the last thing we do. Before we move on to Miami, it was from Tech Talk Live this week. It was Fuente talking about his conversations with Wit over the years and what the current situation is at Tech. And I'll play it for you. It's a little janky. I'm going to play my phone up to the mic, but let's just see if it works. Oh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not happy. You know, nobody should be happy. I understand that part of it. Like we came to Virginia Tech to go uh, win ball, playing games like that and win games like that. And we're absolutely going to. We're not to that stage yet. You know, we've gone through this transition period and everybody thought that the transition period would be as soon as we got here and it wasn't. It's now. And it's like I told Witt after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come because what's about to come is the hard part. And um, but I love our guys. And I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot can, we cannot stop fighting the good fight to go do things the right way. I'm non-negotiable on that. We're going to go to class. We're going to act the right way. And we're going to get prepared to play great football as well. And we have a group of guys that that are straining 
mentally and emotionally and physically to go do those things. And we, do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. But we are, and we will. And uh, we're not wavering from that mission. And that's abs- the end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. So, Coach, we'll let you go on that. Ladies and gentlemen, head coach of the Hokies. I hadn't and, heard that before, just yeah, so and, we're, we're doing this live now. <laughs> uh, I listened to it today, and I just played it for Robbie. It's the first time he's heard it. And Let me give two, you my thoughts sure, before you go, go. You go ahead, and then I'll Since do Since I'm mine. just hearing it raw. One, he said when we got to Virginia Tech, we is not anybody. He got to Virginia Tech. So that, re- to me, is brings up all the worries about Brad and, and the inability to fire people that are close to him, which frightens the hell out of me. Two is this just general, and I use um probably way too much on this podcast, just stuttering and inability to make a cohesive like a thought on what the strategy is moving forward. And probably the third is... The end has already been written is yeah, that, one of the most frightening statements I've ever heard in my life at coming off of, was that was from this week? That was from t- today. It was from last night. Yes. The, so the end has already been written after Meaning you just came we're off already, of- he already thinks like the end is that we're going to be good and competing on a national level. Oh, I, I know, but that's, that's his the end. frightening part. And it's like, already written in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And we're, this is just like a tough time. And to so many things in that statement, I say, bullshit. <laughs> I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Okay. After the Clemson game on Tech Talk Live, he said, we're going to catch those guys. I got news for you, Fuente. You're not catching Clemson. Not with you at the helm. You're nowhere close. And you're telling me a few months after that statement that we're going to catch Clemson, you told Wit, you hired me for what's about to come, meaning it's going to get really bad before it gets better? No. Wit hired you because he had faith you wouldn't turn the program into an embarrassment. And over the past 18 months, we have been embarrassed again and again on and off the field. Galen Scott, your boy from Memphis, he got fired because he was having sex with people on recruiting trips. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. We lost to Georgia Tech and Pitt blown out last year. The Pitt game was one of the most lopsided games with two Power 5 teams in the history of FBS. If you look at the statistics, it's horrendous. Embarrassed against Georgia Tech, embarrassed against Pitt, embarrassed against ODU, all he does again and again, is embarrassed this team, and we got embarrassed again on Friday night against Duke. And that might have been the worst one of them all. Worst loss at home in 45 years. I don't know if I can follow that one up. I mean, I get it. The, it's, it's, it's just bad. He, he's just that. And he's in that comment I think that you brought up, it, it sounds like he's taking the position of I signed up to be the fall guy, right? I signed up to, to, and imagine being a player right now that has to go suit up and play Miami this weekend with your coach basically saying, flipping the script, saying, you know, I came here to win national championships and now he's, forget championships, win ACC championships or make it to the ACC championship. And now you're saying, 
I'm, I, I came here and I knew I was going to have to be the fall guy for a period of time and we would get it back together. It's, it's year four. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And, and then the other thing that comes out and honestly, that was the first time I I had heard that was the whole portion of how, like, we're going to do it this way and I'm not going to deviate. You know, I forget how he worded it, but like, he said, you know, like, I'm not going to, sometimes you have Compromise to. or whatever yeah. it was. Yes. And, and that was the gist. Be- and Beamer did. And I'm not saying we got to become, you know, old school Miami or anything like that. But you you got to find a way to relate to your players in a different way. And that doesn't do it. it and maybe players don't listen to that stuff. I, I know. In this day and age, if I had any sort of or semblance of talent to play football, I would be listening to social media. I'd be listening to that kind of thing. That like that's and you hear your coach say that, that's not good. Like I'm the fall guy. <laughs> yeah. It maybe on on the surface it's like, oh yeah, you know, he 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 knows this is a tough time and they're gonna turn around. But it's not it's it's not something you can look at as an on the surface comment. There's so much behind what's happened over the last year, 18 months and all the losses and the, the embarrassments that that I've harped on. I think the only question we can ask now is not whether we can afford to buy him out, but how we can afford not to buy him out. And, And I think that that's my opinion. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it was also a question that was posed to me by Steve Bryce on Twitter. And I think it's, it's a real question because the damage to the brand, the loss of revenue and ticket sales and concessions, the canceling of donations, these are real things that affect your bottom line. And I know $15 million, even spread out over five years, is a lot of money to Virginia Tech. It it, it is. So I, I don't know what the best course is. You gut the team except for Fuente and put all new assistants in there. You get rid of the whole thing and pull the Band-Aid off. You just replace a few guys. There are a few different options here, but the only option that in my opinion is viable is to just rip it down to the studs. I, is that, how do you feel? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the minority camp, right? Like I'm still going to donate my level next year. So they won't, I, I donate a decent amount, but like nothing that's going to be like, like that meaningful that said the normal course when you have you think you have a decent coach that made bad decisions or like had a bad string of injuries or youth or took over for a regime that Beamer had for so many years and was so great and is that you fire you fire the coordinators you bring no new ones in unless you're Michigan State and then you just rotate them around but um <laughs> But that that's the normal case. This has gotten to a level that I I never anticipated. Like even like my wildest dreams never anticipated. I put out something on Twitter the other day and I was like, you know, I thought and it was my my thought I said I genuinely believe that a lot of the vitriol and like the anger towards Fuente is also based on the fact that he boxed everybody out of the program. So they now know, don't have loyalty to them. And now things have gone in the tank. And now you need that support from that fan base that you just boxed out. 
And uh, like, that was just my thought. Like friggin' 66, you know, likes. And I get like two for normal, like, that's the fan base speaking up, being like, yeah, I kind of I agree with that. So he boxed out the people that gave him uh, the most chance outside of like great recruiting and great players and great play. The fourth on that list is having a great fan base that's donating to your program and you pushed him out. And for me, I have I have no loyalty to him. There is no allegiance it's everything that is counter to what the greatness of virginia tech was had had been built upon yeah and that's why i don't think there is a great solution if you keep fuente around because he's not gonna suddenly be more open like he's just not going to you heard it in that clip he is going to remain steadfast to whatever he thinks is the right way and as a 43 year old man to be so set in your ways, like that's just sad. And you should realize this fan base wants to engage. Like we want to be, we want to know about practice. We want to come to open scrimmages. We want to know every little thing we can because it just is going to make us more loyal and more likely to donate and more likely to spend money on t-shirts and every other thing about Virginia Tech. And he doesn't get that. And it's just one of so many things that he, specifically Fuente, does not get. Forget the play calling. Forget all that other stuff. It's just simple program stuff. He doesn't understand Virginia Tech. I said it in my monologue about how he how he doesn't know how to make these kids hokies. He just doesn't know how. And so there's no solution but other than to get rid of him. If you want to replace all the assistants and put that Band-Aid on the problem, fine. We're, we're UVA with Mike London all over again. In year four, UVA went like 2-10 and 10 with Mike London. And they kept him on for two more years, and the team didn't go to a bowl either of those two years, and they fired him after that. And now they got Bronco, and they're doing well. You can't hold on when something is this stale and this toxic. You just can't. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's right. I think you bring up a point, and I'm not going to judge his character whatsoever, but I'm a stubborn person, and I'm set in my ways, but I'm also not getting paid what he is. I'm also not running a team of 85, you know, you know, young kids that need direction. They need to understand how to balance academics and sports at the same time, which is extremely difficult. That have to manage, you know, their their coordinators and help them understand. And in a, in a sport that is constantly evolving, you know, in the administrative ways, on the field ways, it's constantly evolving and you need to adapt with it. And and maybe we're, we're taking his words a little too harshly, but like he seems pretty set in his ways. And and that's the reason Cornelson's even still on the staff. If he wanted to take some heat off, he would have fired Cornelson after last season. He would have gotten rid of Brian Mitchell. He would have done a, a lot of different things and he chose not to do any of them. Can't, can't, can't argue so too do much. So do, do you want to move on to Touchdown Robot? <laughs> do you want me to touch on Touchdown Robot? Yeah, we should touch on Touchdown Robot. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, first of all, God bless our engineering schools because they are fantastic. And that's not being facetious. That's being truthful. Um, the stuff that, uh, I'm going to keep it a little positive. The stuff that Virginia Tech has been able to do outside of certain parts of our sports have been amazing. The entrepreneurism, the 
engineering programs, even the, you know, Pamplin, everything has been so amazing. That should have set up for like a really cool scene. And that was also intended to like bolster, you know, a lot of different things for Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it became a joke. It it wasn't, it it became like if we scored zero, just imagine if the thing never did a push up. Thank God we scored a TD, honestly. (laughs) If the thing never did a push up, it's just, there is, and I know this is turning into more. Because think if, what if the, uh, what if the score had been reversed and that robot is going and going? That thing would have been like, a Twitter legend later oh, in the night. It would have been you know incredible. what I mean? They'd be like, yeah, it broke because it did too many push-ups." So that, that comes back to um, another just kind of problem that we have at Virginia tech, which is there's no understanding of like what's going on. Like there's this, let's build like a big facade. Let's get a good entrance. Let's do, you know, pump up to enter Sandman. Let's pump up all these like things but nobody's really paying attention to the details. And I don't think, I don't even know where that would even fall, but just the social media aspect of our program has struggled. Um, You know, former players coming back on people have had challenges with, we'll leave that out there. Former player relations is, is another thing. And that, that's when I said, rip it down to the studs. That's what I mean. I mean, everything. Yeah, uh, everything except I guess the AD who'd be hiring all those people, new marketers, new social media, new coaches, new everything. Yeah. And it, it's just it just looks like everybody, you know when you go to like that company party, but the you know the person that was in charge wasn't really on top of everything. So like half the tables don't have like tablecloths, but everybody just kind of overlooks it a little bit and they just keep moving <laughs> forward and the bar, one of the bars runs out of alcohol. And nobody knows what really is going on. And you have like a terrible DJ. It's like you, you, you kind of look around and there's a lot of indicators that nobody's really paying attention to the details of the program. And that sucks all the way down into the football as well is paying mm-hmm. attention to the details. Yes, sir. All right, let's take another beer break before we move on to Miami, which is going to be a very quick Miami preview, and then maybe some picks, and we're going to sign off. I will go first this time on the beers. I'm drinking the Warlock by Southern Tier Brewing Company. We've had a bunch of Southern Tier pumpkin beers on this podcast, but I went on our website while at the store today and confirmed that we have not had the Warlock. I've had it in the past myself. It's a tremendous beer. It's an imperial stout. Ale brewed with pumpkin and pumpkin pie spice is how it's worded. It's 8.6% alcohol. And like most Southern tier beers that have a flavor to them, it's got a lot of sweetness to it, probably a lot of sugar to it. But I absolutely love this beer. The the darkness of the stout and like that mutes the, the sweetness just a little bit. And it comes off phenomenal. You'd never know it was 8.6% alcohol. It tastes fantastic. And after the podcast that uh, we're putting out today, this is exactly what I need because clearly uh, me and you need to feel no pain after what happened to us on Friday. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having the uh, Head of the Horseman Imperial Pumpkin Ale. It's from D9 Brewing Company. 
Uh, I did not buy this, but it's from North Carolina while I was down there. And also, I ended up jinxing our game because I was down there uh, for that. This is... Um, it, it, it's a good... I mean, it's got heavy alcohol. It's 10% brewed with pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove. It's It's relatively good, but it's a little bit watered down and not nearly as good as the heavy seas one that I had earlier. That said, I've never actually heard of this brewery, which is why I picked up the the beer and I thought it would be, you know, nice to bring out something new. Uh, unfortunately it's from North Carolina, which is a little bit damaging to us. It's good. This one is a little bit more watered down than I would say the other one. And it's tough to say that whether you drink one after the other, the one, you know, maybe I'd like this one better. It's, it's not as good. It's okay. And it's not probably as sweet. I don't think as, as maybe what you're drinking. So that is an imperial as well. And so what is it? Eight, 9% would you say? 10. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. It's got, um, and, but it doesn't taste, but it like still doesn't 10. have that much flavor. Yeah. It, it, it's a little bit more watered. It's actually has a lot less flavor than the, uh, the heavy seas beer that I had, which is a little bit strange. Yeah. Well, speaking of North Carolina, how about those UNC Tar Heels and Clemson this past weekend? It was uh pretty incredible. So, um, <laughs> one of the check marks on our schedule is, uh, Far from a check mark. Oh uh, yeah, and that and it links into Miami too because UNC beat Miami. Miami was favored in that game, and US UNC kind of surprisingly beat them. You think, oh, maybe that was a little fluky, but I'm not so sure that it was. UNC might actually be really good, and that that's that's a little frightening. <laughs> and uh, I'll yeah. talk about that a little bit more at the end. The Mac the Mac Bar- Brown joke uh, backfired on us because he. He did what some good coaches do. He hired a lot of good assistants. Yes, he did. And they are paying off really well. So we'll talk about it at the end, but those assistants ran a game against Clemson that they were not expecting. That was true talent coaching uh, of a proportion that we should aspire to be because they Clemson was not prepared for what they were going to do. And... Oh my goodness, would I love to see that on the field for us. Really? Okay, Miami, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, October 5th. The game is on ESPN, the mothership. So everyone can witness another one of our games. I'm really happy about that. I'm not even <laughs> sure that how that happens. It's a, I guess the Miami VT, like the cachet of that, there's still something to it. Otherwise, why would they put it on TV? I don't know. Uh, last year, Miami was seven and six, four and four in the ACC. They finished in the S and P Plus at twenty seventh, and they beat us pretty good, thirty eight to fourteen in Blacksburg. Me and Robbie watched that one from his seats, and I, I realized how incredible they were. And we really needed the beer that day too. They hired Manny Diaz to replace Mark Richt, and they were projected to finish nine and three, and nineteenth in the SP Plus according to Bill Connolly. Athlon had them tied with us and UVA at eight and four in the coastal, but with UVA winning it, uh, and I guess Miami and us losing on tiebreakers. This year, Miami is two and two. They're zero and one in the ACC with a loss coming to UNC, and they beat Bethune Cookman and Central Michigan, and the other loss was to Florida, which we all watched on week zero. 
Currently, they sit at 31st in the S&P Plus, by far the best team we've faced this year. So this could be, I know you're, well, I won't, I won't preview your thoughts on this, but it's probably, uh, you're, I don't, my thought was you didn't think it was as bad as, I think it's going to be bad. I think this is going to be really bad. Um, well, and so, when I said um, by far the best team this year, I mean it in the SP plus specifically. Uh, okay. I don't necessarily know that Miami is better than Boston College or Duke, uh, but uh, they, according to this, they are. Yeah. So the FPI, which I think does the FPI now include the SP plus into it, like their like sure. the ESPN stats. I think it does. So there's an eighty nine point one percent chance of them beating us, which is pretty high um and to put that into i think they play fiu i think it's like an 87 percent chance of beating fiu oh my god and yeah so it that is problematic uh oh no 88.6 percent chance of beating fiu 89.1 percent chance of beating us that's based oh off of God. stats. Yeah, that, that actually happened this uh, today. Well, um, neither us or FIU has covered a spread this year, so yes. there's that. Well, we're one of four. What can we say? Um, so, um, Jaron Williams has looked relatively good. I mean, he's got a what a seventy-two percent completion percentage, over a thousand yards, isn't? And he seven TDs. No interceptions thus far this year. Not bad for a freshman. Yeah, a true freshman, right? And that is that's impressive. DJ now, his surrounding talent on offense is where the question marks start to come in because he's kind of been the bright spot. So you bright spot. DJ Dallas, fifty-one rushing attempts, three hundred forty-three yards. I mean, we'd take that, um, and five TDs. But after that. It kind of gets spread around pretty, pretty. It does get spread around, uh, but I, I think the reason that Williams is so good on the flip side is because of that surrounding talent. I, I think they're making him look really good. Now the zero interceptions with a terrible offensive line—that's impressive. Like yeah. that really, like their offensive line is awful. It's 123rd in tackles for loss, tackles for loss allowed per game. They're giving up nine tackles for loss per game. They couldn't stop Central Michigan's pass rush. Central Michigan had nine tackles for loss in their game. UF had 16 and famously had 10 sacks. So it it was really bad in that first week. And the fact that Williams hasn't turned the ball over is so impressive. DJ Dallas is good, man. Like that running back, he he is really good. I admit that the other guys maybe don't stand out as much as him, but Brevin Jordan at tight end, he's a former five star guy. He is tied for the lead in receptions with 16. And he has 233 yards, which leads the team, and a touchdown. So, I would they, also add to that KJ Osborne. He's got 16 as well, and he's got 181 yards, but he's got three TDs. He is absolutely. I don't. I don't need to be in a you know a, a coach for this team, but he is a red zone threat. Like again mm-hmm. and again, like he he keeps coming in there, and that's. He, he's doing damage in that side of it. So between those three, there's a lot to, to be worried about, I guess. The skill talent is there, in my opinion. It, it, the question is the O-line and, and the freshman quarterback and how he performs and continues to perform as the season goes along. One thing we've seen in college football as a trend, though, is that freshman quarterbacks can be very good. For example, a true freshman quarterback just led Clemson to the national title last year. Sam Howell at UNC 
just took Clemson to the limit. Uh, we see all, again and again these days, going back as far as Sam Bradford and Tim Tebow, as freshman quarterbacks can be very, very impactful. And Jaron Williams, if, if he sticks it out at Miami, he's going to be real good. Yeah, and then on the the defense has been a little bit different than I probably would have expected. So it's been a little bit more balanced for Miami than I, I, I honestly thought that it would have been all defense this year because they've shown such a propensity to do that. I mean, Shaq Quarterman, you can't say anything. I mean, that that guy is a monster at, at linebacker. He is, he's frightening and gives me a little bit of the shakes. Um, they have Pickney, they have Hall, and they have not produced to the level that were, I guess, the expectations that we had for a Miami defense this year. But certainly, they've been still relatively good. I mean, if yeah. you look at the games that they've played, nobody scored over 28 points against them. So, um, and that's against right. UNC, Florida, which is a good team. UNC, we just learned, is a good team. And then the other two. They're 21st in S&P plus defense, 15th in yards per play on defense, 12th in the nation in tackles for loss per game. They're getting 8.25 tackles for loss each game this year on defense. Tied for 6th in turnover margin. I think that's the one that really does it for me. If you weren't aware, we're 128th in turnover margin. It's the power of the chain, baby. Aren't we 132nd? So we've improved by four. <laughs> well, I, 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 is there is there still 130 teams in FBS? I'm just kidding. I, I, I don't remember. It changes every I, year. But we're, yeah, we're 128th currently. And no, their defensive line isn't as good as it was last year. They lost a bunch of guys to the NFL two years in a row now off that line. Their DBs, no Jaquan Johnson, no Redwine, no Michael Jackson. They're all gone. But the linebackers are still good. And there's so much talent. And they also added a very talented Hokie in Travon Hill to that defensive line that was a little thin. So I I know this defense isn't quite as good as it was last year, but it's still really damn good. And with the way our offense is sputtering worse than I've seen it ever, how many points can we reasonably expect to score in this game? Well... I, I, you bring up, bring up really great point. because of Quarterman, because of Pickney, we have to go back to where we started at the beginning of the podcast or our last podcast. Is if we're not passing the ball, we're this this game's done, right? There's no, we may get a few runs here and there, and there might be a long yardage run or whatever the case may be. We, we are not going to be able to run the ball, and that's before we get to a lot of the talent that they have when you talk about um, some of the other guys. So I don't know how we score unless we pass the ball in this game. So if we're going back to we have to establish the run, this game is over before it starts. Also, if we have to start hooker due to injury or because that's what Fuente thinks is best, it's also over before it starts. So <laughs> hooker starting QB like I don't think we're capable of winning this game if he starts at QB and I'm not saying Willis has been good I just think that Willis at his top end would actually allow us to expose a weakness on this defense yeah he has shown no ability to do that I'm just saying that neither has Hooker and we have no track record of Hooker being able to throw the ball at all (laughs) I and 
I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in one respect to that is if you go back to all the stats for Willis from last year, not this year, last year, right? And he has in, arguably improved wide receiving talent even over last year, et cetera, and compare him to Gerard Evans, Jackson, everybody. His stats are at, if not even above, from a passing perspective, passing only. Granted, he doesn't bring any running threats, so that's what where everything gets screwed up, and that's why everybody's like, yeah, that's why Gerard Evans was so good. Yeah, but good not this his, year. Not this year, that's, but that's my whole point, is I don't, I don't see... Hooker has only thrown two passes. I know. Ever. So, like... What? How are you going to march somebody out there and have this good know. of an upfront against against a, a team like Miami's upfront is going to be really difficult to get past? And then you're going to have him. He can't. He can probably throw the ball, but he doesn't have the confidence to throw the ball because he hasn't played. So, and he's played practices. I know he's done, and maybe he's amazing, but he hasn't seen the field enough that. We're, we're damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. W- will Hooker spark the offense? Probably not. And it, it could get very ugly. Essentially, we're sending him to the Wolves. That that's This is probably one of the worst opponents on our schedule besides Notre Dame and maybe UVA that you could send out a new starting QB. It, it really is. Like, this is... And that it's a rumor that that Hooker's going to start. We don't know, but we saw them rotated last game, so it's not that far fetched of a rumor. I, I don't feel run, confident if there's if there's no injuries. I would, I, I I again, I'll eat my shoe. I would just put four out on the outside, and then if if Willis is healthy, just yeah. launch the ball. Just like literally yeah. get confidence that's, back in this. That's team. what you have to do because that's our only way. To win the game. I do understand, hey, we suck. Let's play one of the guys that might be here next year. I completely get that. But at a certain point against certain opponents, that is not productive. And putting Quincy out there to start or putting Hooker out there to start against this defense, it's not going to be productive. It's just wait a game. Anyway, wait a game. You're going to look at the next opponent. That is the perfect opportunity. If you want to. If you have, if that's your mindset, if next year, then that, why isn't the next week the perfect time to do that? It is. This is probably not it. You're going to, you're going to cause more fear and cause more problems with your quarterback by doing it this week and next week. And the season's probably going to end the same. Let me just give my last few matchup thoughts. Miami will definitely get a couple turnovers. Put points on the board. DJ Dallas is real good. It's going to have to be watched carefully. I think Tisdale is a much better play in this game than Dax. Their QB is talented. Hasn't thrown a pick yet. Accurate. His QBR is not very good, and he does get sacked. So maybe if we can get some pressure, we could create some opportunities for a turnover or something like that. On the whole, it's probably a better offense than Duke, just because of the playmakers. So in that respect, I think it's the best we've faced. That doesn't bode well. I think Miami gets at least 30 points. I don't think there's any way we could score that many. So un- unless our defense turns them over a few times, gets some scores themselves, I don't think our offense is going to put up more than 17 or 20 points. 
I mean, the, the, there is a way. I mean, yeah, if if Willis is relatively healthy, like like I, I don't I don't I'm not. This is weird. I'm not asking for him to go out there if he's injured. If he's injured, just bench him, right? But if he is healthy, he has the arm, and we have the wide receiving talent for them to just go screw it. We're going to go be Big 12 offense and just we're just going to air it out. And guess yeah. what? There's going to be interceptions. There's probably going to be three in the game. But guess what? It's going to be at the 20-yard line on their opponent, and it would be the same as a punt, right? It, you know, it's the soft Fair punt. Enough. And that is the only way I see this working. I hope I am completely wrong. I hope yeah. that the running backs just go to town. I hope that the Jets sweep works this week. I just don't see that. And we have so much talent at wide receiver. And we have a quarterback, if he's healthy, that is not that accurate, but has an arm. So just let it go. Yeah. Like, what else are you going to do? Well, my counter to that was, if, if last season had never happened, right, we never saw Willis play, Jackson finished the season, and then transferred. There's no reason to believe that Ryan Willis can start dealing it all over the field based on what we've seen this year. Based on a couple of games last year, yes. Based on what we've seen this year, pretty much no. He, he, he had an okay game against BC in terms of yardage, but he threw three picks and turn the ball over four or five times. Yeah, but he's, he's not airing it out. And and he had the highest completion percentage. And I know it's Furman, so you'll laugh and, and joke about it. But we're all thinking Duncan, you know that. But so, but so, guess what? We had those same teams when Josh Jackson was playing. We had those same teams when everybody was playing. And he threw, he had the highest completion percentage by far. And those were deeper pass. Like, that's why I track how deep the passes are in terms of, like, on the website. Like, you can go look for yourself. You don't have to like take my word for it. That's why I post it. Like, go figure it out. I compare all of them, all of all all of Fuente's quarterbacks. And I line. hear you. I hear what you're saying because, yeah. in theory, it's possible because we've we've seen it. And the, mm-hmm. and with Hazelton back, it, that helps. But the problem is we just lost Trey. Yeah. And so now you've upgraded and you downgraded. Yeah. So it, it, it's it sucks. It, it sucks and like. I'm not going to say we can't catch a break because the few, we've had some injuries, but it hasn't been that many injuries. Like it's it's to some key guys here or there up front, but whatever. I'm just saying Willis that one last is going thing. Robinson the on direction. the under. Yes, absolutely he is, and we said that earlier. Like Robinson on the underneath routes, period, and and if you put Hazelton on the deep routes. That's a dangerous combination. Like it is. Robinson c- catches everything. He has the highest completion percentage of anybody on our team, and he has the most passes targeted at him by far. He can, and he's always at the first down marker. Like that is a tough place to make catches, and he does it every single time. And then if you can put Hazelton on the back end, I honestly, I'm not just BSing. I think I know. that could be. That could be. That could be. It's Look not going to be. It's not going to be pretty. Let me let no. me tell you. There's going to be. There's going to be interceptions. But well, what it would be if Willis was able to beat Miami, it would be the Blake Larusa last year against Virginia Tech. Because honestly, Larusa had not barely played or at all, and he wasn't really good in many other games. But he had one great day, and it was against Virginia Tech. And and Willis, he has shown no reason to believe in him this year. 
but maybe he'll have one great day. It's it's always possible with, with the talent we do have at wide receiver and the talent we have in Keyshawn King if Fuente allows him to stay on the field. Yeah. So I hope that we can make it a game, but I'm not optimistic. In terms of the betting line, I saw that it opened at 8.5, but when I went to Odd Shark, it said it opened actually at 6. Regardless of where it opened, it's now at 13.5, and, and Miami's clearly the favorite. So that's either a five-point movement or a seven-and-a-half-point movement. No matter how you slice it, that doesn't bode well. It's about the same movement we had last week. We saw how that turned out. And honestly, if we thought that VT had a chance, that line move, it should have scared us off. I, I don't know why. I, I was just hoping beyond hope that it was wrong. But when lines move like that, you should be very afraid. And Miami should cover this easy, right? I'm not picking the line this week. No, we do have to pick it for the pick'em, but we're not going to pick it on here. And honestly, we're running low on time. We can talk about like if you have any one of these games you want to talk about. Let's not even go through the picks unless you just want to do them rapid. Fire. No, I'll do them. I'm just I, it, I I'm a jinx on 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 the house right now, so I'm okay. just I don't want to pick the VT game. I'm hopeful that we can win. I just don't want to jinx it. Okay. Uh, We'll we'll do rapid fire on the picks and move through these. Purdue at Penn State. This is the only line I've ever seen that's moved more points this year than the Clemson Syracuse line and our line. This went from sixteen and a half to twenty eight. Now Penn State's a twenty eight point favorite at home against a conference foe in Purdue. I don't want to go against that line movement. I it doesn't seem right, but I'm going to pick Penn State. I'm picking Penn State. They look they look dangerous. What they did to Maryland just wasn't quite right, but I kind of loved it. Yeah, I mean that's you get psychology treatment after that. Like you have to go to like a psychiatrist after that. That was damaging. And it happened on the same night as our game, so it made us look just like a little less like a dumpster fire compared to Maryland. So that was nice. I did like that everybody talked about that one. <laughs> Iowa at Michigan. This is number fourteen Iowa going to number nineteen Michigan. Michigan's a three and a half point favorite. Iowa. This line moved a little bit too. Who do you got? Iowa. I'm taking Iowa. Yeah, I mean, then Michigan has not. Shown I, I do think that Michigan could cover the spread. I, I actually like was going to bet on this with real money, but I decided against it because I just don't know. But if you're gun to my head, I'll pick Iowa. But I think Michigan could cover this game. Ferentz will TC, love doing that. TCU at Iowa State, three and a half point favorites for the home team Iowa State. I like TCU in this game. That's that's a good one. Um, I'll go Iowa State, actually. Okay. Auburn at Florida. I've been so bad at picking Auburn games this year. This is a top 10 matchup. Number seven, Auburn, going to the Swamp. Number 10, Florida. Auburn is three-point favorites. It started as a pick um, I'm going to take Auburn because oh. every time I go against them, it doesn't work out for me. <laughs> Dude, Auburn has been turning it on. If you haven't been watching the games, they are – they were nasty that last game that they just Their played. D-line is – it was said it was going to be ridiculous, and it's just as ridiculous as advertised. Yeah, so I'm going Auburn. Next game, Michigan State at Ohio State. 25, Michigan State. They, they popped into the rankings. Number four, Ohio State has been destroying people, including game day game at Nebraska last year, last week. Ohio State, 20-point favorites in this one. I'm taking Ohio State. Denise, I, I hate this. 
for anybody that listens to this podcast, but yeah, Ohio State's going to destroy them. They are. You can't you can't not pick Ohio State at this point. They're decimating people. No, on both sides of the ball, they're decimating people. Like they are ruining lives. There are small children crying, like walking out of the. Like, and Michigan State's offense hasn't been great. And I hate they, saying, they, they hate might saying. score zero points or seven points or something. So yeah, Ohio State minus twenty. Cal at Oregon is the last game. Number 13, Oregon is 17 and a half point favorites over conference foe Cal. I'll go first. This one's tough. Um, Cause Cal actually showed a little bit of resilience. Like, you know, everybody was like kind of joking around. Cal's good. They're like, they've played really well And Oregon. Their one loss. What was it? Auburn? That was it. Like, do they have another loss? No, that's, that's it. That's it. Um, but 17 and a half, so rough. Uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Oregon. I think that this is their chance. If they have a chance to kind of redeem themselves, it's going to be against this. Yeah. I'm taking Cal and I think they might win outright. Cal went to Washington, double digit underdogs one. I don't know why Cal's getting so disrespected by this line. I, I, I and maybe that should be alarming to me. Maybe that should be a Vegas nose kind of thing. But the, they're good. They play good defense. And Oregon played Stanford. They won by fifteen. Now they're supposed to beat Cal, who's actually a good team, by seventeen and a half. Uh, it doesn't compute. But I'm going to take Cal. All right, that is it for the podcast. You heard us ramble on about the coaching staff and whatever else, and we do not like being this negative. We really don't. We don't like piling on, but me and Robbie have read collectively every single piece of media that's out there about Virginia Tech this week, and we feel like we need to bring the sentiment of the fans and the sentiment of ourselves to you guys. I think that's probably right, and it it doesn't feel good. I mean, the original intention and not to go all full scope on us because it's the end of the podcast nobody's listening anyway (laughs) is to stay relatively positive uh on things like amidst message boards where they start to get you know negative each other but we're in a bad way the players know we're in a bad way the coaches know we're in a bad way the ad knows we're in a bad way the fans know we're in a bad way I think we would just be lying if we didn't actually speak the honest truth. And, you know, we discussed it before the podcast, but um, it's, it's, it's the truth. I remain positive on Virginia tech, like not for football this season or whatever, but you know, but just as an idea, just as a, as a part of you. I mean, I'm still wearing Virginia tech, you know, sweatpants right now. I still wear Virginia tech gear everywhere, you know, and that's that's my thing is like what do we want to be seen as a fan base and this is probably going to show our colors more than has had to happen in the past 40 years yeah always support the school but i i i, I can't get behind this coaching staff any longer uh, i called you at halftime in the boston college game and i said from boston i was at the game i called robbie and i was like it's the same exact thing we saw last year. It's the same thing. Yeah. And and now we're in week it's going to be week 5. We just saw week 4, game 4 I should say, and it, it's it's getting worse. And and I I'm done with them. I'm done with the coaching staff. I love the players. I, I feel for them. I really do. Uh but man, 
I hope I hope they just go out there and play as best they can and not um, not allow these coaches to embarrass us any more than they already have. To end on a happy note, if you can hit us on Twitter, it's at 2DVT, on Instagram, at 2DVT, 2DVT.com. You can check out all the beers. If you're wondering which pumpkin beers we've had over the years, they're all there. Just type in the word pumpkin. They will all come up if you hit Control-F. Uh, Except pumpkin. I might be drinking... Except pumpkin. The pumpkin <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. beer? That, the that pumpkin one. from Dogfish? Yeah, yeah, Dogfish pumpkin beer. That, that's the only one you guys misspell. Uh, and I might have some more pumpkin beer next week too. Cause I've got like six in my fridge right now, six different kinds. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. If you made it to the end of the podcast, I might split this up into two. I haven't decided yet, but if you made it to the end of either one, we really appreciate you. And we really appreciate Charlie and Pam for sending those beers. Did I get that right, Robbie? That's exactly right. Thank you so much for sending those beers. We, Anyone who sends us anything in the mail that it, it, it resembles beer or some kind of trinket or whatever, we really, really appreciate it. It is, it is awesome to have listeners like you. Don't send us White Claw. <laughs> that, that goes out to the loser of the uh, the Pick'em. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and uh, remember, beer never broke our heart. So have another beer. Enjoy the podcast next week. Go Hokies. Cause long